All right, good morning, Mercy House. My name is Tommy Moore. I'm going to be preaching the word to you this morning. Uh, so yeah, if you still have your Bibles, leave them open. Um, we're going to be working through Philippians 1 here. And as we're reading through this, I think one of the biggest pieces of context for this passage, uh, or really for this letter to the Philippians, is simply that Paul is writing from prison. Um, and that's not like a small detail, that's a side note. Being in prison is, is really like this whole life, uh, whole, whole change in pr perspective and, and disposition uh, for anyone who's in prison. Now, I'm not speaking from experience, but I would imagine based on how life-altering uh, a four-minute timeout for my little four-year-old girl is, um, and, and for her, just this idea of having your freedom, having your future completely commandeered, is going to change how you view the world around you how you view yourself, how you view, view your relationships, and really how you view your future and, and how you view your faith. Um, I mean, imagine right now, if you can, take a minute to uh, imagine that you're sentenced into uh, a, a, a prison sentence, and there's an indiscernible amount of time for that prison sentence. So you have no idea how long you're going to be in there. So think about what, what would your first letter home look like? What would that uh, communicate to the people that you love? How, how would you feel if you were put in that place? See, Paul's letter from prison uh, to the Philippians, it, I think, is radically different than what I would imagine any of our letters would look like. Um, instead of asking for help from the Philippians, he, he's actually blessing them. Instead of asking for prayer for himself, he's actually telling them how much he's praying for them. Instead of being anxious about his own well-being, he's actually encouraging the Philippians uh, that Jesus is going to continue to work in them and complete what he began in them. Instead of asking for, for care, for affection for himself, he's telling them how much he loves the Philippians. And instead of letting fear and sadness overwhelm them as they're outside of prison, he's in prison and, and he's just overwhelmed with, with joy. That's what you're seeing as you read his letter to the Philippians. I think Paul, as a man of God who's put his trust and his faith in Jesus, um, it's really showing how his relationship with God and his focus on this eternal mission of making disciples has really made him incredibly resilient, almost seemingly immune to the trials and the tribulations of this world, which for him are not minor. And so when we see this in Paul, right, when we see him be able to respond to being in prison like he is, Especially as we take a sneak peek at next week's passage, which is in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? When you see all this, I think we really should ask ourselves, if we haven't already, how do I tap into whatever Paul's tapped into? How do I arrive at, at this place where a prison sentence can be a, a place that produces joy and where dying can be seen as a, a blessing? Because what we're seeing here it isn't like coffee mug Christianity, not like the, the fluffy, feel-good, Sunday Jesus kind of sprinkled onto the life that we've carved out for ourselves. This is a radical conversion, a whole life dedication to following Jesus, which I would strongly argue is what we should be striving for and, and desiring out of our own existence on earth. So let's look at the verses here, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Paul shifts in his letter. So the first few verses, you're seeing him encouraging the Philippians. He's telling them how he's praying for them and telling them how he's excited to see them uh, mature and, and develop in their faith, how he loves them. He's just full of joy for them. Um, and he shifts to revealing something important, which, which I think is indicated by the first few words that you see in this section. He says, I want you to know. Now, as you're reading the Bible, um, you really should be asking, what is the author trying to communicate here? What's important to them? What's the main point that they're trying to communicate? So when you see the words, I want you to know, that's like a huge blinking sign. That's like, pay attention to what I'm about to say here. I'm making this really easy for you. I think what Paul, uh, what we see is Paul revealing what his central focus uh, for him in life is it, in a way that, that, that he finishes verse 12. This is what we see. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has, right, see the anticipation build there. How would we finish this sentence if we were in prison because of our faith in Jesus? And maybe it's not prison, right? I, I might feel a little bit outlandish for some of us, but what about when following Jesus and standing behind the gospel means having to endure consequences in our life? Uh, when being a Christian made life harder, in these moments, what would it reveal as, as being central in our lives? Uh, this semester, uh, we were able to read this book called Questioning Evangelism, and it, it just it brought about a lot of hard conversations uh, that we've had in the past and we're having uh, with people in our lives that don't know Jesus. And some of those conversations, like at best, would, would kind of be awkward, but in the more severe circumstances, uh, there were significant repercussions. Relationships were severed, um, and, and, and just there was a lot of conflict because of this communication of the gospel to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And so it, I think in light of that, if, if you're like a, a lot of other Christians, when we finish that sentence, what has happened to me ha has, and you're thinking of all the challenging times where being a Christian has brought about challenges in your own life, I think you could answer it. Being uh, uh, what has happened to me has made it harder to follow Jesus. Maybe that it has discouraged me or made me question the power of the Holy Spirit. Made me wonder if God really wants what's good for me or, or made me question my faith. And I'm not saying that having these thoughts or these doubts are, are bad reactions to the trials and the sufferings uh, that come with being a Christian as we're faithful to Jesus. And I'm sure to many degrees, Paul himself grappled with these really critical questions to his faith as he was being mocked openly, as he was being pelted with stones, as he was shipwrecked, as he was bitten by snakes and left for dead. But these questions are a part of Paul's walk of faith as he engaged God with them. And, and they were never a landing place in and of themselves. But we see what the landing place is. So finishing verse 12 there, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Advance the gospel. Paul is all about the mission. That's really his central focus. And I'd argue that that's kind of his secret. And if you want to know what the key to being uh, the most resilient as possible to kind of the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, the best moments and the catastrophic moments and everything in between, it, it's really to be wholly sold out to the mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. That's what we see in Paul. I think to put it in other words, I think that we are most at peace and have the healthiest perspective on life uh, when we do what Jesus commands us to do in the Great Commission, which is to make disciples. Why? 
Why is that? Well, I think there are a few reasons. I think the first is because God knows us, uh, he loves us, and he knows what's best. So God knows us, he loves us, and he knows what's best. Now, these are pretty big claims, but they're pretty consistent with what we see in Scripture. Um, God knows us because he made us. You, you know intricately the things that you put together piece by piece. He loves us, and we see this demonstrated for him dying for us on the cross, and he knows what's best because he, he made the world and everything in, uh, everything in it, and he knows how things work, uh, and how not only how they work, but how they work as they should work in their best form. Caitlin, my wife, loves baking. She, she loved baking before the pandemic, so she's like a true baker. Everyone's baking now, but she has always loved baking. She, she bakes bread, she bakes desserts, and the other night she turned to me, and, and as she's baking some baguettes, uh, and she goes, I just love the science of baking, right? I said me never, right? I would never <laughs> say anything like that. But here's the thing about baking. It absolutely is a science, right? Um, the, the measurements need to be precise. The process is specific with an order to each step. Caitlin, uh, for the most part, she, she follows the directions written down by people who know how baking works, uh, in order to do things in the best possible way. So when Joy the Baker says to activate the yeast and add it to your dough, it's not like a suggestion. It's like, this is how you make bread. Unless you have a sourdough starter and you don't need yeast. You always do need yeast if you want the bread to rise. So c consider then that when God tells us to do something, it, it's not like a suggestion. It's him giving us instruction for how we ought to live as the world and we are designed. And so in the context of him knowing us and how we're built, and in his love for us, we can know that this is not only what's best functionally, but what's best for us as we follow him. That's how we ought, ought to frame the great commission of, of making disciples. So I, I think that's one reason. Another, it, like being obedient to the great commission brings about uh, a deeper faith and, re, and a resiliency like Paul because nothing can thwart the will of God. Nothing can thwart the will of God. So playing on his team, no matter how much of an underdog you may feel like, and the hits that you take as you stand for your faith, or, or how much even the, uh, the faith as a whole feels like an underdog, or even sometimes when Jesus himself appears to be the underdog, the truth and the reality is that Jesus will win. Jesus is victorious, and he's going to prove himself victorious to everyone and everything. His plan to restore creation is going to be fulfilled. That's not like a maybe, it, it is. In him, there's no lie. He, 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 he will, as Paul describes, you see this in verse 6 earlier, he's going to bring to completion what he started. And that's as he's maturing you as a believer, but also in all of the things that he has promised. And so when we devote ourselves to the mission, we double down on Jesus, And we really put action uh, to, to affirm what we understand intellectually. And Jesus, hands down, is the best bet. And you talk about underdog situations. Look what's happening here. And Paul gets put in prison for preaching the gospel and making disciples. And that's undoubtedly to prevent him from preaching the gospel and making disciples. But look at verse 12 and 13. It says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
Being in prison for Paul is not a timeout. He's not like being put in a corner and told that he can't do what he was doing. He looks at the prison guard and he's like, hey, you guys heard about Jesus? You want to know about Jesus? Right? And we're not just talking about the guards of his cell, the, the entire imperial guard, which is at least the entire staff of the prison he's in. And he's not bitter about it either. He, he's celebrating it. He's excited about that. Think about how frustrating that must have been for people who were fighting against Paul. He's like a weed. Um, like, if there's dirt, weeds are going to grow. I don't care if you have like a raised garden or a window planter box. I have weeds literally growing out like little centimeter cracks in my driveway. They're growing in my gutters. Weeds are everywhere. And Paul, he's like a weed that is sowing seeds for more weeds. Like, that is what's happening as he's communicating the gospel. And everyone around him is a patch of dirt. He's just like, you can't stop it. You cannot thwart the will of God. And God, but what God has willed is that people would hear, uh, receive, and respond to the gospel. That's what makes Paul so resilient, is that he is personally attaching himself to the resiliency of the gospel. And the gospel is resilient. But his preaching of the gospel really isn't just affecting himself. That's not why he's doing it. He's not doing it just to make himself happier, make himself more resilient. And it's not only benefiting the people uh, who he's preaching the gospel to, the prison guards. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's faithfulness to the mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples is serving his brothers and his sisters by making them bold and confident to do the very same thing. Caitlin and I are watching uh, ESPN's The Last Dance documentary, and we were just talking about this right before we started. Uh, it's a documentary, if you haven't heard about it, it's about Michael Jordan, uh, the 1998 Chicago Bulls, on their quest to win the sixth championship title. And as you watch the show, there's no doubt that Michael Jordan is an incredible basketball player, incredibly skillful. He's able to perform in clutch moments. I mean, he is the greatest of all time, uh, really unargued. Um, but, but what gets communicated a lot in the documentary is how that competitive drive that he has, his, his desire for excellence, his will to win, it, it, it's that aspect of him that made everyone around him play harder. It made everyone around him better athletes themselves. His belief and his excitement and really his attachment to this mission of winning rallied those on his team. And so Michael Jordan is like the goat of basketball. I'd argue that Paul is the goat of preaching the gospel and making disciples. And now you can debate that as well. But you get the point. Um, his attachment, Paul's attachment to the investment uh, of, of being on mission gets others around him super excited about that mission as well. So consider this, that your faithfulness and obedience to Jesus and being on mission to make disciples not only benefits you, not only benefits those who you're reaching with the gospel, but it benefits the entire body of believers. That's incredible. See, we, we got to experience this uh, last week uh, as a staff. We got some really awesome news when we found out that someone in the Mercy House Kids program accepted Christ as their Savior. And uh, we were on call, we were all super pumped, and you know, this was a product of just a lot of prayer, um, a lot of conversations that the parents had uh, with this little boy, and really the miracle of salvation working out in this little boy. Now, do you think his parents 
right? When this happened, we're like, all right, back to work now. I guess we should just keep going to Mercy Cow's Kids. No, like th this response to the gospel excited everybody. They were fired up. I, I think we as a staff were all fired up as well, just to see the power of the Holy Spirit on display in this little boy who could understand his own brokenness and his need for a Savior. We were encouraged and emboldened to preach the gospel and see more of this happen. See, this is the beauty behind the Great Commission. Jesus doesn't command us to make disciples because he just wants us to stay busy until he comes back. He commands us to preach the gospel and make disciples because this is the way that, that we stay spiritually vibrant um, and flourish in our fellowship with God. It's the way that others receive the good news of salvation, uh, which brings eternal life and joy in Christ for them. And it builds up the church as a whole as we all see the power of God on display in that whole process. Mercy us. This is why we as a church... Um, we we want to take making disciples seriously because it's what's best for us as individuals. It's what's best for the world around us. It's what's best for us as a church family. And so as you're reading this and if you're wondering, is Paul really that into preaching the gospel and making disciples? Is, he, is this really as central to him as you're letting on, Tommy? Well, let's keep reading this last section and we'll finish out for the day. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul's imprisonment is creating more preaching of the gospel, uh, but it's from two different camps of people. You have those who are encouraged by Paul um, in his resiliency in prison and his faithfulness to the preaching of, of the gospel, even as he's in prison for it. And so they're preaching out of love, out of, out of genuine excitement for the gospel and even solidarity with Paul. And then there are those who are quote-unquote, proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. And Paul earlier says that this camp is preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. These people uh, who are trying to hurt Paul and the mission by preaching the gospel, I mean, that, that's what they're trying to do. And at first, I think that it, it wouldn't make sense, but especially with, with what's happening in our nation right now, I think we have some parallels and some context for What's happening here? So in the world right now, there are people who are peacefully protesting, people who are making uh, a statement by their presence and unified voice to invoke change in the world. But there are also those who are described as opportunists and, and agitators who are showing up at these protests, and they're protesting, but in a way that really is purposefully discrediting and undermining uh, the, the protesting effort. And John Miller, the, the head of the uh, NYPD's intelligence unit, is quoted in saying, We're seeing a lot of outside and independent agitators connected with anarchist groups who are deliberately trying to provoke acts of violence. An another article was talking about in Las Vegas, uh, Assistant Sheriff Christopher Jones said, Much of the looting and destruction has been caused by people taking advantage of the chaos. However, he also said graffiti and property damage which he described as targeting capitalist structures suggest Antifa involvement. 
He added that social media posts showed people expressing views very consistent with white supremacist ideology. Um, these people had intermingled with the crowd. The, the strategy of the people preaching the gospel to try and hurt Paul is similar to these agitators and these opportunists. And the basis of that strategy is that the gospel itself is, is highly disruptive. Um, it, it's causing major shifts uh, in the social and economic systems wherever it's preached. And that's in large part why Paul is in prison right now. And so their thought is if we keep preaching this radical gospel, right, it, uh, to create more radical change around us as people start radically believing uh, in this thing, Paul's sentence is going to get worse. Things are going to get worse for Christians if we keep this up, which actually is absolutely true. As the gospel is preached and as the church grows in the first century, so does the intense persecution and the violence aimed at the church. But it doesn't have the intended negative effect, neither on Paul or the gospel. So in hindsight, we see that the church continues to explode under persecution. The gospel keeps spreading uh, thousands of years, thousands of miles to where we are here today in western Massachusetts. And how does it affect Paul? How does Paul respond? Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, in that I rejoice. Paul, again, he, we're seeing he's sold out to the mission. He understands that there are larger things at stake than just his personal well-being. He's saying, you want to preach the gospel because of how it's transformed you, and you want others to hear that good news too? That's awesome. Preach it. And he turns to the other group of people, and he says, you want to preach the gospel to spite me and, and at my expense? so that others can hear the good news and be saved? That's awesome. Keep it up. The only thing that I care about is that if Christ is proclaimed, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice. I'm pumped. I imagine that there are few people that Satan hated more than Paul. Because you could not stop this man who was sold out to the mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. You couldn't beat him because Paul would rejoice in his sufferings. You couldn't put him in prison, clearly, because everyone in prison would convert, and the entire jailhouse and everyone in the general vicinity would hear the gospel and respond to it. And you couldn't kill him, because you'll see next week that to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? You couldn't do anything to Paul. Paul is this great example of someone who, who picked up his cross daily, and he followed Jesus. And it's that process of obedience, of committing himself to the great commission of making disciples. Um, that, that, that created this man who, who lived abundantly and always rejoiced. He, he transformed the lives of, of people around him through the delivery and the living out of the gospel. He built up the, the, the global church. One application for us, I think, uh, this morning is really simple, is that if we haven't stepped into this like Paul has with all of our weight, what are we waiting for? What's stopping us? If you're not a Christian and, and you're hearing this, know that this is what you're also invited into as well as you receive Christ. That This daily decision to be sold out for Jesus is one that all believers continue to wrestle with each day of our lives. And if you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, we have a website for that. If you go to mercyhouse365.org respond, 
It really does uh, have some resources on there to walk you through what it means to respond to the gospel. And there's a place on there that gives us your contact info so we can reach out to you and just tell you more about it personally. Um, for those who do follow Christ, I, I, I want to reiterate what I said at the very beginning. If you want to know what the key to being the most resilient as possible to the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, the, 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 the best moments, the most challenging moments, and everything in between, it is to be wholly sold out to the mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. Because it's in this that we live out what we're made for and experience the, the deepest fellowship with Christ as we rely on Him to sustain us on that mission. And I'll close out with this verse. We see this promise from Jesus Himself as we read the Great Commission, um, especially to the end there. In Matthew 28, verse 18, He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. So we're going to have some time now to respond in prayer. And um, yeah, just want to encourage you to, as you're wrestling with um, living out this calling and stepping into what it means uh, to be on mission for Christ, to submit that to God, ask what it looks like practically in your life, um, and then step into it. So, Robert, you want to lead us?